You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet okay, is on the phone. Here is Friday, October 8th, 2021, people. Hope everybody is ready for a loaded week in college football. A lot to get to. And I'll say this. It is very rare that we get a great weekend like we did last week in college football. Six top 15 teams losing. Chaos in the streets. Couches burning in Lexington, Kentucky. And then this week might be even better. Penn State, Iowa. Auburn, Georgia. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama against AM, on and on and on. We will do the week six preview. Before we do, though, three kind of bullet point topics that I want to get to, then we will get to the week six preview. Very quickly, want to hit on Texas AM and Jimbo Fisher because I have been asked multiple times this week Is Texas A&M highway robbery here with Jimbo Fisher, second highest paid coach in the sport? They are in last place in the SEC West, 0-2, only Texas A&M, South Carolina, Missouri, Vandy, the only four winless teams in the SEC SEC total. None of them are paying their coach $9 million a year except for Jimbo Fisher. We'll talk about that. We will very briefly, I don't want to belabor the Urban Meyer stuff, but I saw something new uh, earlier this week. Brett McMurphy, a great reporter at the Action Network. He had a poll that said that uh, 85% of Power 5 ADs would not hire Urban Meyer. That is the biggest crock of you-know-what that I have ever heard, so we'll discuss that. And one quick thing with Coach O that I saw this week, which I thought was kind of despicable and gross from a fan at LSU. We will touch on that. Take a break. And as I said, Week 6 preview, Penn State, Iowa, Texas, Oklahoma, on and on and on. Before we get to all the big topics, though, Quick reminder, told you last week, super fired up, Aaron Torres Media and the Aaron Torres Podcast has partnered with DraftKings all football season long, all fall long, and DraftKings has an incredible deal for all listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast that I want to tell you about, so here goes. It is October, the playoffs are underway, pro football is underway, even NHL hockey is underway, here is the deal that DraftKings is giving to listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast. New users, check this out, can bet $1 on any MLB playoff game this week, or any MLB playoff game this month, excuse me. 
any NHL game or any pro football game, you just bet $1 and you get $100 in free bets if the following happens. If you bet a Major League Baseball game and the team that you bet on gets one hit, you get $100 in free bets. If the pro football team you bet on gets one point, scores a single point, you get $100 in free bets. And if the NHL team that you bet on scores one goal, you get $100 in free bets. So hypothetically, uh, the Los Angeles is in the playoffs. MLB, they get one hit in baseball. You win that bet and get $100. That is an incredible deal via DraftKings for listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast. And again, bet $1. If the MLB team you bet on gets one hit, NHL team gets one goal, or the pro football team gets one point, you get $100 of free bets. This is all you got to do. If you want to take advantage of this opportunity, all you got to do, click the link in the podcast description. So you listen on iTunes, you listen on Apple, there is a link in that description. Click on that. Same link is available at the top of my Twitter page, at Aaron underscore Torres. From there, you make your first deposit. You place $1. As I said, any pro football game, any MLB game, any NHL game. And if that team scores one point in football, one run in base, one hit in baseball, excuse me, or one goal in hockey, you get $100 in free bets instantly. Incredible deal. It's going the next few weeks. Click the link in the podcast description. Go to Apple. Click this episode. You'll see a link. That is thanks to our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. I should mention, by the way, if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. Must be 18-plus or more in Wyoming, 21-plus. Eligible only in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Minimum $5 deposit. Minimum $1 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody, I am back. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And week six, college football, loaded slate. I do want to get into it in a minute. But before I do, three quick topics that I want to hit on. Then we'll get into all the big games this weekend. Penn State, Iowa, Oklahoma, Texas, on and on and on and on and on. Uh, The first one is Jimbo Fisher. We'll talk about him momentarily. Second one, Urban Meyer. I don't want to belabor the point. We've talked about him on each of the last two episodes. But I saw this poll come out from Brett McMurphy. And I don't blame Brett McMurphy. It's not his fault. Uh, But over 70% of athletic directors that were polled said, this is at the college level now. If Urban Meyer does not work out with the Jacksonville Jaguars, would you hire him? 73% said no, that is ridiculous, we'll get into that, and then kind of a weird deal with Coach O and a fan in in, uh, Louisiana, Baton Rouge, LSU. Before we get to it though, I do want to start with Jimbo Fisher, because a lot of big games on the college football docket this weekend, one that was supposed to be huge, Alabama at Texas A&M. As recently as two weeks ago, we thought it could be a potential Top 10 matchup in college football. Remember, CBS only gets one primetime game every year. 
and they chose Alabama, Texas A&M this weekend. Since then, Texas A&M has lost twice in a row. They are now 3-2 and two overall. Their only wins are against New Mexico, Colorado, and Kent State, and they are in last place in the SEC West. And that's not to say that, you know, Jimbo Fisher is in any sort of trouble. I'm not doing a segment where I'm claiming he's on the hot seat because he is absolutely not, to be abundantly clear. But at the same time, if you'll remember, Jimbo Fisher this offseason was given a contract extension to make him the second highest paid coach in college football. He now makes $9 million a year, only trailing Nick Saban. This is the list of guys in college football head coaches that make more than Jimbo Fisher. It is Nick Saban, and that's it. And so over the course of this week, as A&M falls to 3-2, and two, as their offense is absolutely falling apart, uh, I've had a few people ask me. They say, dude, Torres, what do you think? Is Texas A&M getting ripped off in this deal? And I thought it'd be a fun topic for this show. I thought it'd be something fun to dive into. And so let's get into it. But let me just get straight to the point. And I do think the answer is yes. Doesn't mean it was a bad hire at the time. Doesn't mean, by the way, Texas A&M can't bounce back this season, that they're not built for success in the long haul. But right now, this second, I understand any Aggies fan that is frustrated with Jimbo Fisher. Before we get into this current season, I do think context matters in the, 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 this conversation. And what I will tell you is this. I had no problem with Texas A&M breaking the bank to bring in Jimbo Fisher the first time, okay? So I think I've told this story on this podcast, but I, I, I'm pretty plugged in in Aggieland. I know a lot of, I don't want to say I know everything that goes on behind the scenes because that is the furthest thing from the truth, but I had a pretty good feel in the lead up to that hire, how it went down and how the decisions were made. Ultimately, if you'll remember, Kevin Sumlin was previously the head coach, and when Kevin Sumlin, when it became clear that he was not going to be the head coach going forward, that Texas A&M had to go in a different direction, um, basically, Texas A&M's Brass Boosters alumni, and of course, Scott Woodward, who I talked about on last show, currently the LSU AD, was at Texas A&M as the AD at the time, they basically made an executive decision. They said, we are going big or going home. We are going out and getting ourselves a national championship caliber coach. We believe at Texas A&M, and this was the thinking in 2018 when they hired Jimbo Fisher, every, we have everything in place to win a national championship. We have a great fan base. We have great facilities. We just had a Heisman Trophy winner to sell in Johnny Manziel. We, have, uh, we just made $500 million in renovations to our football stadium. At the time, and technically still for another year or two, they were the only member of the SEC in Texas. They said, we have so much to sell, and right now the only thing we're missing is that elite coach. And so what they basically said was, we don't care what it costs, we are going to get a national championship winning coach here at Texas A&M. And I can tell you essentially what the list was when they knew they were getting rid of Kevin Sumlin. It was Jimbo Fisher. They were going to try Dabo Sweeney. I don't even know if they got a call to Dabo Sweeney before he said no. It was James Franklin, who, of course, if you remember, was coming off a Big Ten championship, left out of the playoff as the fifth team uh, in 2016. It was Chris Peterson, who had been hired by Scott Woodward at Washington. That was essentially the list. And they basically said, we don't care how much we have to pay. We don't care what the investment is. We don't care about the public backlash. As I said with Scott Woodward on last show, he operates his athletic department the way a fan does. He said, I'm not going to go out and pay $4.5 million, $4 million a year, $4.5 million a year for a coach that I think may be good. 
I am going to go get the guy that I know will be good, and I don't care what I have to pay. I don't care what I have to pay in his buyout, in uh, paying the, the former coach. I do not care. And so those were kind of the candidates, and Jimbo Fisher was the guy they got. I was tipped off about two, three, four days before, and I tweeted it out. Jimbo Fisher's going to get insane money, and he did. I believe it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like $75 million in guaranteed money, 10 years, $7.5 million a year. If Jimbo Fisher went 0-12, 0-12, 0-12, and they fired him with uh, three years into his contract, they owed him the extra seven years every penny. So that was the decision-making. That was the thought process, and I never blame Texas A&M for that. I never blame any athletic department for doing it, for, for going big, for spending money on an elite coach, because this is the world that we live in. And Texas A&M's thought process at the time was pretty simple. We know what it takes. We don't care how much it costs. We don't care how much backlash we get. People are going to say we're paying too much. We know what it costs to get a championship-winning coach, and if we have to pay that much, it doesn't matter to us. To us, it is about winning. It is about winning at the highest level. I'll give you a bad analogy because I'm not a homeowner. But the way AM looked at it was we don't care if we got to pay $75 million if it is a national championship caliber coach. That is what the going rate is, okay? It's like if you see a $10 million house in a certain neighborhood. Somebody will tell you you're overpaying at $10 million, but if every other house in that neighborhood costs $10 million, that's what you got to pay to get it. That's what A&M had to pay $75 million to get Jimbo Fisher, and they did. And like I said, for a day or two or a week or two, they did get some pushback. I mean, that's a lot of money to pay for a head coach. I mean, there's a lot of, co- there's a lot of good coaches that make $4 million a year, $5 million a year, five-year contract, six-year contract, $30 million guaranteed, $40 million guaranteed. Jimbo Fisher got $75 million guaranteed up front, no questions asked. They cannot take a penny back if it does not work out. And I think for the most part, he actually, for the most part, lived up to the expectations of that contract early. Um, you know, you look at his first year. I know it doesn't feel sexy on paper, but they go 9-4 and four in his first year. They win a big bowl game. Everything's good. Year two, they go 8-5, and five, but even that 8-5 and five year was deceptive because they played four of the top six teams in college football that year, okay? Uh, that was the year in 2019 that LSU won the national championship. They played LSU. They played Georgia, which finished fifth in the final poll. They played Alabama, which finished sixth in the final poll. And they played Clemson, which played uh, which played LSU for the national championship. So they played the teams that finished 1-2-5-6 that season. And so that's how you finish with an 8-5 and five record overall. And then last year, they went 9-1. and one. And so when you look at what Jimbo Fisher did, he did what they paid him to do when they agreed to bring him to Aggieland. He got them in the national championship picture last year, 9-1. and one. If things break a little bit different, deserve to maybe be in the playoff. If Notre Dame uh, trips up somewhere else, if Notre Dame whatever, they finish fifth, easily could have been in the playoff. And I, at the time, I said, look, shout out Jimbo Fisher. He did what was expected of him when he was hired. I do think the issue that has come up since then, though, is a few things. First of all, the team stinks, which we're going to get into in a minute. But furthermore, It was the extension this offseason, and this is something I don't understand why college football programs do it, okay? And I do, to a degree, I get it. I talked about it on last show. I'm sure that Texas A&M, in the back of their minds, had a little bit of a fear. If things don't work out with Coach O, 
our former AD is now at LSU. We have to make Jimbo Fisher feel like he is wanted here. We have to take care of him. We have to give him more money. And that is how they ended up with giving him an extension to over $9 million a year after this past season. I think that's ridiculous. I think the reason you pay Jimbo Fisher $75 million, you said he's a national championship caliber coach. We want to be in that conversation. He got you into that conversation last year. He did what you are paying him to do. And so I don't understand why they felt the need to give him a raise. I don't believe the LSU thing is real. At this point, I don't even think LSU can hire him based on how he's, his team is performing right now. But beyond that, this is what you hired him for. You gave him a, now you're giving him a raise for doing what he is expected to do. Be one thing if he won a national championship. Be one thing if he played in multiple playoffs. But he hadn't even made a playoff. He hadn't even competed for a championship, won a championship. He hasn't even beaten Alabama yet. And people were talking about him as uh, the second highest paid coach in college football. So you have that, and you have that target on your back, and now your team stinks. And I'll tell you two things. It ain't getting any easier for Texas A&M. And I will also say that this now falls on Jimbo Fisher. And again, I want to be abundantly clear. I am not talking about sky is falling, gotta go. I don't think, as an example, that Coach O survives the season at LSU. This is not that at Texas A&M. The infrastructure is in much better place, and you could see the scenario where A&M regressed a little bit this year. Uh, they lose some players, some talent off last year's team. They lose their quarterback, Kellen Mond, who's obviously now in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings, lose a couple offensive linemen, but at the same time, a couple things with this team in its current state. First of all, they are insanely talented, and they're not living up to it. And at this point, it's year four. He has now had four recruiting classes. If you go back to the first one when he took over, his first full recruiting class is now juniors, and they're just not getting the job done. And again, I'm not saying you have to win a national championship. You got to be number one. But you can't be 3-2 and two and 0-2 oh in the SEC. And the guys that are juniors came in as Jimbo Fisher's first full recruiting class. And I'll be honest, it's been a little hit or miss. Some of these guys have been real good. DeMarvin Leal, who is a defensive lineman, could be a first-round pick. He was the highest-rated recruit in that class. Kenyon Green could be a first-round pick, offensive tackle. He was a really highly-rated recruit in that class. But there's been a lot of misses, too. And that was the class number four in the country when it signed in 2019 that is supposed to now have you consistently winning year in and year out. Again, it goes back to what I said a minute ago about Jimbo Fisher. You're not paying him $7.5 million a year, now $9 million a year to finish in second place in the SEC West, fourth in the SEC West, fourth in the SEC, third in this, second in that. No, you're, comp you're paying him Nick Saban money to compete with Nick Saban. Right now, it's all his guys, and they are not performing. Not blaming any one individual player, not blaming one individual person, but what I would say is, overall, collectively, they are not playing up to their talent level. On top of that, they got a real problem at quarterback, and I, I, I hate, 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 criti I sound like Dave Chappelle there, hate, 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 but I feel bad criticizing any one player, but it is clear right now that the poor kid that they're trotting out, Texas A&M, their quarterback, Zach Helzada, is not good enough. I feel bad, and I understand, by the way, he's not supposed to be the starter. Haynes King was the starter coming into the season. He gets hurt in the second game. This kid, Zach Calzada, is thrust out there. But right now, through three and a half starts, because he, he, start, he had to go in in the second game of the season against Colorado, completing 53% of his passes, five touchdowns, four interceptions, 5.8 yards per completion. He's not getting the job done, and that does fall on Jimbo Fisher, I believe. Not that his starting quarterback got hurt. 
but you come into this fall camp, you understand, you go into the offseason really, I should say, you understand Kellen Mond's gone, you know you have two options, but you also watch these guys every day in practice, and I was talking to one of my top guys down at A&M today, and he said, or this week I should say, and he said point blank, he said either Calzada is the best practice player in the history of football, or Jimbo screwed up by not having another quarterback on the roster. Because as the way he put it, he's a football guy, he understands football. He basically said, he's like, you cannot go into the year with this guy as your backup because you're one twisted ankle, you're one pulled hamstring away from having to throw this guy into the fire against SEC teams, and that is exactly what's happening. Should Jimbo Fisher have gone to the transfer portal? Should he have gotten somebody else? Could he have gotten, again, anybody in the transfer portal? I think so. And these are the real conversations that are being had around te uh, Texas A&M right now. Now, the good thing for A&M, you can argue. Talk to my buddy David Nuno today who hosts Texags Radio. After this week, the schedule does get a little bit easier. Missouri, South Carolina. Uh, then you obviously have Auburn and Ole Miss, which is not easier. But you should have two wins against Missouri and South Carolina. But I'm just telling you, I've been asked a lot. Is A&M getting ripped off? They're going into this Alabama game. They're a 17-point underdog at home. We're not going to talk about that much, that one very much in the preview because they're just not getting the job done. And so it's an interesting thought. Yes, I do not think Jimbo Fisher is living up to the contract. I think part of this is on Texas A&M, though. Why are you giving him an extension after he hadn't made the playoff? I just think it was not the right decision at that time. You're paying him 7-5 at the time to win big, to compete for playoff bursts. He was doing that, and I think part of this is on A&M as well. Two quick other stories I do want to get to, then we'll get to the week five preview. The first one, did you see this Brett McMurphy story? Listen, we've talked a lot of Urban Meyer this week, and you know I don't want to belabor the point. We know what he did. We know what he did is wrong. I talked about it. No, he shouldn't be fired. But like at the same time, like let, let, let's stop overreacting. It was stupid. It was dumb. He shouldn't have done it. Now it's time to get back to football. Uh, but I think we all kind of agree, or I think most agree, I know I agree because I'm the one that said it, with the sentiment that I said on Wednesday's episode, which is that I think it's pretty clear that Urban Meyer is not cut out for the NFL. It reminds me of John Beeline when he went to the Cleveland Cavaliers. These guys don't trust him. These guys don't respect him. These guys don't fear him. His entire coaching philosophy is based off of fear. And if these guys don't like him and they're not bought in, they're not going to play hard for him. This is not college football anymore. And so obviously the questions become, will Urban Meyer survive this season? Does he even want to survive this season? Does he want to keep coaching in the NFL? And then I think kind of of more importance, if he does leave, what is the market for him in college football? And I said on Wednesday's show, I don't think he can be hired this offseason. I think it's a tough sell to your school president, to your board of trustees, to your boosters. But at the same time, on Wednesday, Brett McMurphy Action Network put out a survey. He interviewed a bunch of ADs, college athletic directors, and asked, would you hire Urban Meyer right now? Check this out. 73% of ADs said, we would not hire Urban Meyer, including 85% at the Power 5 level, with one AD even responding, not in a million years would I hire Urban Meyer. To which I say, shenanigans. Do kids still say that? Do adults still say that? I'm calling shenanigans on this. This is the stupidest survey I've ever heard, okay? So you're telling me 73% of athletic directors off the record, not putting their name behind it, are saying that they would not hire Urban Meyer. 
Listen, I understand this guy has had problems everywhere he's gone. He had players with personal issues at Florida. Couldn't you know? Players were all over the police blotter at Ohio State. He had personal issues in Jacksonville. He clearly has personal issues. But can we stop turning a three-time national championship winning coach with no NCAA rules violations on his resume into uh, Ron Zook? Can we stop turning him into Larry Koch? Because, like, the idea that 73% of ADs say they would not hire them is it, it's a bigger lie than Urban Meyer going to the podium on Monday and saying that somebody was pulling him onto the dance floor when it was clear that he was dirty dancing Havana Nights with a girl half of his age, okay? It is the biggest lie. It is the biggest crock. And this is the one thing I do hate about the current media, right? Listen, I am in the media. The way I operate is you talk to a million people, you try to get information, you can't use somebody's name that tells you this because of that. I get that. I get how this works. If I could only share information from people where I could use the name of the person that I shared it with, I'll tell you, I couldn't do my job very effectively. But at the same time, these kinds of reports are the ones that bother me when we start using anonymous sourcing and anonymous surveys, okay? Because you look at this survey, 73% of ADs say they would not hire Urban Meyer is a lie. And they can say that and they can take the moral high ground because their name is not attached to it. And I'll just tell you this, those 73% of ADs, I would like to see what their situation is, the moral high ground that they're on when the coach that they, they have right now goes three and nine. Let's just use a hypothetical, okay? I don't know, nobody knows if the Florida State AD was involved in this coaching search or was involved in this survey, okay? But imagine Florida State's AD was involved in this coaching search. Not in a million years, would never hire Urban Meyer. Yeah, let's see what happens if Mike Norvell finishes 2-10 and 10 this year. Let's see what happens if you bring him back next year and he finishes 3-9. and nine. Then what? Then all of a sudden, that next coaching job, that the, the next coaching hire, your job is tied to it. If your guy does not deliver, you're going to be out too. And not only are you going to be out, that million-dollar-a-year AD job is out. Uh, as Colin Cowherd always says, you know, your kids are in private school. Your wife has a certain way of living. Your kids have a certain way of living. And, oh, by the way, you lose this job. Everybody's way of living is completely changed. And so if you got to go hire a coach, you got to get a winner, you're going to go get Urban Meyer. And so I'm just so tired of the the fake pretentious the fake pretentiousness of the media and of the coverage of Urban Meyer. I don't think he's a good guy. I do think he's a pathological liar. I do think he's got a little Rick Pitino in him where he has now been in you know, he's had so much power for so long that he believes his own lies. But can we cut out the nonsense with these ADs that are claiming that, oh, I would never in a million years would I hire Urban Meyer. Yeah, let's see your football team go three and nine and you got to make the next hire and your entire career is tied to that. Let's see how pretentious you are. Let's see the moral high ground you're standing on enough. I don't like her. I, I don't even want to say I don't like Urban Meyer. I don't think he's a very good person. I don't think he's trustworthy. But can we stop pretending like he is not a three-time national championship winning coach? And then finally, I'll just say this. There was a, a kind of a quirky story about Coach O that came out the other day. Um, and I will say this as it pertains to that story. Um, you know, we, we wrote about it at AaronTorresOnline.com, but I'll get into it in a little bit. Uh, these college coaches, they have these call-in shows. And I think anybody who listens to this show is familiar with college coach call-in shows. But essentially, once a week during the season, basketball, football, the big-time coaches, uh, they go, go to a local bar. 
They have one of the local guys in the media interview them, and they talk about the last week. And then they take some calls from the audience. You know, they take some questions from the audience. They take some calls into the show. And then from there, they call it a day and have a good time. I will say it is a big part of how these guys get paid. You know, if you look at these contracts, most of it doesn't come from the school. It comes from media appearances and things of that nature. Well, anyway, Coach O is doing a media uh, is doing a call in his call-in show on Wednesday. And I think we all know not a very good year for Coach O. LSU's three and two right now. They stink. They're struggling, um, and the fans are clearly frustrated. And so I'm just telling you, if I was a coach, and jo- Coach O, by the way, is pretty up there with Jimbo Fisher in terms of how much money he's making. I think I just wouldn't show up. I, I, I wouldn't go. But he get he he's taking calls during the show, and you can hear the audio at AaronTorresOnline.com. I don't want to. I'm not. I can't play it legally. I can't play it. So I'll just kind of paraphrase it. But in the audio. Um, a guy calls in. He says, hey, Coach O, you know, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, by the way, my, my sister's in the audience, um, and I want, you know, I want to wish her a happy birthday. And Coach O says, uh, yeah, you know, what's her name? And the guy says, Bebe, which was Coach O's nickname when he was a kid, so you know right away it's probably a prank call. It's probably going off the rails. And then the guy says, and again, this audio is out there. You can find it on social media. The guy says to Coach O, oh, but by the way, um, she's a young blonde so try not to sleep with her, okay? And it was it crossed every line. It was uncomfortable. It was awkward. And then Coach O responded in what I think was a perfectly appropriate manner. You know, he pauses. He takes it all in. He's ready to move on. And then he says, oh, by the way, down on the bayou where I come from, there, there, there's a little watering hole for, play, for people like you. And so it was this crazy back and forth. This guy basically says, don't sleep with the blonde. And for people who do not know the background, Coach O, after he wins the national championship in 2009, gets divorced, gets seen out on the town with younger women, all that kind of stuff. And oh, by the way, this wasn't Urban Meyer. He was divorced. He's allowed to date who he wants. Um, and this guy, I, I thought, really took it way too far. Now, Coach O did get a tiny bit of backlash for saying, you know, guys like you end up in the creek where I'm from, man, um, which was basically a, an insinuation for I'll kick your butt if I ever see you. But I'll also say I have no problem with what Coach O said. Because if you go back and listen to the audio, the guy was so out of line, so inappropriate, and I think this is now the culture that we live in, and this is one of the bad things that I do not like, that none of us like, about this internet era that we live in. People feel like, because they're anonymous, we were just talking about anonymity a minute ago, because they're anonymous, they can say whatever they want to people, and in many cases, those people are in uh, high positions of power. I should mention, I just saw before I started doing this show, Urban Meyer's wife has deleted her Twitter account. I think it's gross that people are speculating or saying things about her marriage to her that do not know her, and I think this Coach O story is an extension of that because we all know Coach O's a big man. What is he, about 6'2", 6'3", probably 260 pounds, pure muscle for a guy that's his age? We all know that this guy would not be saying that to Coach O if he was in the audience or to his face. And so I thought it was gross, I thought it was disgusting, and I have absolutely no problem at all with Coach O responding the way that he did. The guy, listen, I'm not Mr. Moral High Ground here, but I, one thing I think you can know that I, I, I a thing that I live by I will never say anything about anybody that I would not say to their face, that I would not say publicly. If I criticize Jimbo Fisher or Urban Meyer or this or that, I never say anything on this show or on my Twitter feed that I would not tell a man or woman to their face. All right, what I want to do is take a quick break, come back. We will preview all the big games this weekend in college football, Iowa-Penn State. Uh, What else? We got Michigan-Nebraska. We got Texas-Oklahoma. On and on and on. I'm going to rip through some of those games. 
We will be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And let's get in to this monster week six slate. And it's so interesting. I know I said this off the top of the show, but it is not often in college football where you get an incredible slate on any given weekend, week one, week four, week seven, week 10, whatever. And then the next week, it might be better, right? You have the great weekends, and then the following week, you get zero matchups of top 25 teams or whatever. Well, this is not one of those weeks because last week, chaos in the streets, as I said to lead the show, Oregon loses, A&M loses, Arkansas Ole Miss gets smacked around by Georgia and Alabama, uh, Notre Dame loses, you go on and on down the list, a lot of craziness in college football, and now we might have even a better slate coming into this weekend, Penn State, Iowa, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Nebraska, Michigan, I think is a fascinating one, Alabama, A&M, Georgia, Auburn, Arkansas, Ole Miss, on and on and on and on and on. So let's get into the previews, let's talk about that big game in Iowa City, Biggest thing to hit Iowa since, I don't know, Field of Dreams? Since the White Sox and Yankees walked out of that cornfield? I don't know. But big weekend in Iowa. I shared this stat on the College Football Betting Show. If you're not subscribed to that, make sure to do so. Uh, this is the first top five matchup of Big Ten teams. So a team, two teams that are ranked in the top ten, or ranked in the top five, excuse me, in the Big Ten in a game that does not include Michigan or Ohio State since 1962. That's that courtesy of Chris DeBear Felica on ESPN, but it's been a long time since two teams this good in the Big Ten are playing, and it, one of them is not either Ohio State or Michigan. And look, I think we all know what's at stake in this game. Uh, obviously, the winner is going to have the inside track at a college football playoff berth. I will tell you this, if Iowa wins this game, they have a very, very nice path going forward. They do have to play at Wisconsin in a few weeks. Nebraska's improving, but they do not play Ohio State. They do not play Michigan. They do not play Michigan State. Penn State, on the other hand, this is just the beginning of a gauntlet of a season. Not to mention they already played Wisconsin and Auburn. They still have games at Ohio State, at Michigan State, and Michigan later in this season. So, a lot at stake for both teams, and I think Penn State, the game, is probably a little bit more important because the schedule is so tough ahead. By the way, even if Penn State survives all that, they would probably have to beat Iowa again in the Big Ten Championship game. In terms of this game itself, I'm just going to tell you point blank, you've heard, listened to me on this show, you already know. What this game is ultimately going to come down to is turnovers. I said it on the college football betting show, there is no team in college football that I believe does one individual thing better than Iowa does at forcing turnovers. Now, you could say Georgia's defense as a whole is better, Alabama's offense as a whole, Ole Miss's offense as a whole. But in terms of doing one thing at just an absurd level, nobody is better at forcing turnovers than Iowa. The stats are just mind-boggling. This season, they have 16 turnovers forced. They are plus 12 in turnover margin, which is by far the most in college football. And they have 12 interceptions this season, which is by far the most in college football. Seven turnovers forced last week against Maryland. And I've told you for weeks, with Iowa, this is what it comes down to. If you can take care of the football, you can beat them. If you can take care of the football, it will at least be competitive. But if you can't, it could get ugly in a hurry. And we've seen both extremes the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, Iowa was playing Colorado State. Colorado State is not good. 
it was 21 to 14 going into the fourth quarter, or excuse me, 17 to 14 going into the fourth quarter because Colorado State took care of the football. Last week against Maryland, as I said, seven turnovers, Iowa scores 51 points and wins. And so I think the next question you have to ask yourself is obvious. Well, does Penn State take care of the football? And I will say, in Penn State's defense, and it's not even that they need my defending, just as it pertains to this game, the answer is yes, they only have three turnovers on the year. Here is where I would be concerned if I was a Penn State fan, though. I would be concerned because of this reason. Penn State does not run the football very well. A couple things with that. One, I think a Penn State fan, and I know some of you guys listen, would sit there and say, well, yeah, well, we've also played two elite run defenses. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Penn State has played two of the best run defenses in college football this year, Wisconsin and Auburn, both ranked in the top 10. But you know who's number 11? You know who's also elite? Iowa. And so if you couldn't run the ball against Wisconsin, if you couldn't run the ball against Auburn, and by the way, I don't know that I blame Penn State for that. Those are two really good run defenses. I don't know how you're going to have success running the ball against Iowa. And that is where my concern comes in. Not that statistically Penn State turns the ball over a lot, but that if Iowa can force, if, if Penn State can't run the ball on Iowa's front, that means that there's a lot of third downs. What happens on third down? You got to pass the ball. What's the worst thing you can do against a team that thrives on turnovers, specifically interceptions, pass the ball, especially when they know you're passing the ball? And that is where my fear comes. In terms of a prediction, I do do predictions on this show, the College Football Betting Show. I do not make predictions. This one I will. I actually think Iowa wins the game. I put out the tweet on Thursday morning. I think they win rather convincingly. Now, what that means to you could be a lot different than what it means to me. I don't think Iowa's winning 45-3 to because they don't got 45 points in them on any given night. But I think they force one or two turnovers. I think one or two of those turnovers turns into some kind of points. They have the home field advantage. I think they win somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 10. I like Penn State. I like what James Franklin is doing. I would say, by the way, one extra thing to think about when it comes with this game. You know who's going to be rooting for Iowa more than anyone other than Iowa fans? Probably USC fans. Because I think I said it on Monday's show, but or on Wednesday's show. I think James Franklin is the next head coach at USC. The only scenario where I do not see James Franklin as the next head coach at USC you can probably guess what it is. If Penn State makes the college football playoff, he ain't leaving for another job. And so when I look at who will be rooting for who, USC fans are going to be rooting hard for Iowa because if Penn State goes undefeated, they're going to be in the playoff. And if they're in the playoff, that probably means he is not going to, to USC. Uh, I would also say, by the way, it's that weird precarious situation where James Franklin has to lose enough where... He's not going to make the playoff and go to USC, but not too much where the fan base doesn't want him anymore because he's not winning enough. So interesting game, and like I said, there's probably even more at stake for Penn State because of the schedule that's ahead. They still have to play at Ohio State, at Michigan State, and Michigan at home, but man, oh man, what an interesting game this is. Speaking of interesting, Red River shootout, and yes, I still call it the shootout. No PC uh, Red River rivalry on this show. It's a shootout, baby. Love the Red River shootout. Found out that this is the 20-year anniversary. Roy Williams jumping over the line of scrimmage to knock the ball out of Chris Sims' hand. For you young whippersnappers that do not remember that, one of the great plays in college football history, go find it on YouTube. That was the first uh, Red River shootout that I remember watching, and it was a fun one. 
Oklahoma won that game. That was the time when Mac Brown could not beat Oklahoma at all. Uh, and, you know, Mac Brown, he was Mr. February because he could never win the games that mattered in September, October, November. Uh, proved some doubters wrong a few years later with a guy named Vince Young. In terms of this game, look, what I would say, Oklahoma, I know they it was a one-possession game against Kansas State. But that was the first time that at least offensively they started to look like the team that we all thought they could potentially be in the preseason. First of all, Spencer Rattler, for all the heat this poor kid takes, remember, two games ago against West Virginia, fans are chanting, we want Caleb, we want Caleb, Caleb Williams, the backup quarterback. Spencer Rattler's completing 76% of his passes this year. If that is not good, if that is not getting the job done, I don't know what to tell Oklahoma fans. You're kind of in trouble because there ain't much else this kid could do. 22 of 25 last week against Kansas State. And for the first time in a long time, Oklahoma was really able to run the ball. And I actually think that that is going to be the key in this game. Oklahoma, up until that point, had struggled to run the ball. Kansas State had a really good run defense. They finished with 131 yards rushing. Why it's important for Oklahoma is because I've said it before. We think of all these high-powered pass off. We think of how all these high-powered offenses, Lane Kiffin, Lincoln Riley, Steve Sarkeesian, as pass-happy offenses, and maybe they are to a degree, they're all based on the ability to run the ball. And if Oklahoma can't run the ball, Spencer Rattler is not the guy that's going to go, you know, 32 of 40 for 380 yards. and four, That's not who he is. You need that balance. Now, here's the good news. Texas, on the other hand, Cannot stop the run. 92nd nationally in run defense, and that's what I think this game comes down to. Uh, which team runs the ball? Which team has success? Which team is able to keep the other defense on the field? And if you just look at it, the advantage goes to Oklahoma. Texas has struggled to stop the run. You could say, well, that number's skewed because of the Arkansas game. I don't think that you're necessarily wrong in saying that, but it's not as though Texas has shut down other people as well when it comes to the run game. Last week against TCU, they gave up almost 170 yards rushing uh, to the Horned Frogs. The game before that, in a game against Texas Tech where they jumped up early and never looked back, gave up uh, close to 130 yards, and Texas Tech really didn't run the ball because they fell behind early. And so when I look at this game, can Oklahoma run the ball? And then on the flip side, what did I just say? All of these offenses are based on the run game. Texas is number four in the country in rushing right now. Bijan Robinson is amazing. By the way, I said this uh, the other day, uh, not telling you how to use your money, but that DraftKings link is in the show promo. Bijan Robinson currently is 25 to 1 to win the Heisman. If he has a big game, he might be the favorite coming out. So, something for you to think about, people that have the ability uh, or interest in using DraftKings. Not telling you how to spend your money, just telling you it is available there. Uh, but I bring it up because Texas runs the ball really well. Number four in the country, Bijan Robinson, second in the country in rushing. Here's the concern, though Oklahoma is a really good run defense. They currently rank eighth in the country in run defense. They've shut down basically everybody. It's worth noting Nebraska, who I'm going to talk about in a minute, had 430 yards rushing against Northwestern last week. They had under 100 against Oklahoma. So Oklahoma's run defense is for real. Who stops the run wins. I think Oklahoma wins this game. It's a three-and-a-half point uh, spread. I like Oklahoma to cover the three-and-a-half points. Let's get to some other big ones. You know, Michigan-Nebraska. I think you can argue is as interesting as any game this weekend. Um, doesn't have the stakes of Penn State, Iowa. Doesn't have the stakes of uh, you know Georgia going to Auburn. But absolutely fascinating, and we all know why. For Nebraska, they seem to finally be turning a corner. Could have beaten Oklahoma. Should have beaten Michigan State. 
destroyed Northwestern last week, 56-7. to And this is a game, one of two things is going to happen for Scott Frost. Either he gets over the hump, and he beats Michigan, and he beats a top-10 team, and we start to say, okay, this is who we thought he was, or it's just another big game, Nebraska can't win, is Scott Frost really the guy? Then there's Michigan, and we all know what's at stake for Michigan. Is this a program that, uh, you know, under Jim Harbaugh, this is the kind of game we, you know, we, we start to doubt Jim Harbaugh, start to doubt Jim Harbaugh, he wins a big game, he loses, a, and then he loses this kind of game. And so he's on the road, this is the second straight week, and I think, first of all, for Michigan, what is the enthusiasm level? Because we know Nebraska's going to be fired up. Night game against the top 10 team at home. But from Michigan's perspective, it does kind of feel like last week was the week for Michigan. They had started 4-0, but are they really good? They're going to Wisconsin. Let's figure it out. They destroy Wisconsin. Are they going to have that same energy this week? And then I think also from Michigan's perspective, two things. Can they stop the run? Like I said, Nebraska top 20 rushing defense, 427 yards rushing. And then at the same time for Michigan, um, are they going to be willing to pass the ball? Because that's something that does stand out to me um, with, um, you know, with this game is are they going to be and willing to pass the ball? I talked about it last week. I couldn't pick Michigan against Wisconsin because I did not believe that when push came to shove, Jim Harbaugh was going to throw the ball. I thought he was going to hold on to it. I thought he was going to try to run into that really good Wisconsin run defense, and he was, and they were going to lose that game, or I couldn't pick it at the very least because of the fact that I just did not believe that Jim Harbaugh was willing to open it up. Instead, they passed 30 times bunch of yards they end up winning the game and I think if they're willing to pass the ball they're going to have success again this week it's just a matter of if they are going to pass it finally what I would say last little thought on this game Adrian Martinez you know it's a big game for Adrian Martinez a Nebraska quarterback really talented player he's been playing really well but has a penchant for turning over the ball I think it's like 29 fumbles in three years 29 lost fumbles in three years well you're playing a very opportunistic Michigan defense, which forced three turnovers earlier this week. Something to consider. Uh, let's get to a couple other really big games, uh, and we will get out of here. First one. I mean, Alabama a and I don't. I just spent 20 minutes talking about Jimbo Fisher. Maybe not 20, but probably, what, 14, 15 talking about Jimbo Fisher. Don't feel like I need to belabor the point here. I just don't see how, how A&M wins this game. I think they're talented up front. I think they're physical. I think they're tough. But... You start to talk about playing 60 minutes when your offense is not only not – I'm going to say this. I, I said this in my, my write-up at Aaron Torres Online. Uh, LSU's offense is one-dimensional. I'm talking about LSU now. They can't run the ball. They're one-dimensional. A&M's offense is zero-dimensional because, because they can't throw the ball, everybody loads the box, and because of it, they cannot run the ball either. And so, look, you can be a lot of things against Alabama – you can't be zero to one dimensional on offense where they can load up the box. They know you can't beat them deep. They know your you know your your quarterback can't make the throws. And so I think it gets ugly. Could I see it being you know fourteen six at halftime? Yeah, but I but Alabama has scored thirty one or more points in thirty one straight games, which is an insane stat, second longest streak in the history of college football. And I don't see any any scenario where a And M where it's a you know fourteen. 10 game going into the fourth quarter I think it's maybe 14-6 going into halftime you know 28 to 13 going into the fourth and 45 to, to 16 as a final score I just don't see this one being competitive at all uh Georgia Auburn I think is kind of interesting so Georgia listen how about my dogs 
Okay. You guys were ready for that one. I, I, I'll stop it. But um, listen, you guys know I love Georgia. This is an interesting game to me. I do believe that they are no worse than the second best team in college football. I know that's not a hot take, but you look at this game. First of all, this will be the best run defense that they play all year. Auburn is awesome against the run. And two, you know, what is the status of their quarterback, JT Daniels? And I think now it's officially time to start having the JT Daniels conversation because a big part of the reason that I picked Georgia to win the national championship, I thought JT Daniels was the best quarterback that they've had and played under Kirby Smart. Now, obviously, uh, you know, they had Justin Fields, but they never played him. Um, But, you know, uh, you know that they were going to be willing to open up this offense. The last three games last year, I forget the stats now, but when he was inserted into the starting lineup, I think it was something like uh, they scored 31 or more points in all three of the starts that he made in the regular season, then they beat Cincinnati in the bowl game. And so that was a big part of why I picked Georgia to win the national championship. Here's the thing. J.C. Daniels can't stay healthy. Was hurt going into this pa- going into last season, got hurt coming out of the Clemson game this year, and now appears to be hurt again. Now here's the good news if you want to call it good news. I read a practice report with, with Kirby Smart where he said uh, it is a lat muscle, which is a muscle in your back, and that JT Daniels was doing everything other than throwing this week at practice. So, I mean, I guess that's good. Except I kind of feel like you got to be able to throw the ball to play quarterback in the SEC. So I could see this one being low scoring. I could see it being competitive. But I do think Georgia wins. But this is kind of the game where I think this could be one of their tougher games of the regular season. I, I'll say a final score, 28-6. to you know, that Bo Nix magic that he had last game against LSU, uh, that magic doesn't quite hit the same. Uh, that magic does not quite hit the same when you are playing uh, Georgia's defense. So I will say that uh, I will say that uh, I will say that Georgia wins, but I don't think it's the domination that we have seen from them. Couple other SEC games. You know, first of all, Ole Miss Arkansas. I don't think anyone can accurately predict what is going to happen in this game. Simply for this reason, we have to figure out which team is going to be less upset about getting destroyed last week. Arkansas loses 37-0 to, uh, to, to Georgia. Alabama destroys Ole Miss 42-21. It was 28-0 at halftime. My, my gut tells me that Arkansas will come out more focused. Um, you know, they just got their butt whipped from beginning to end. And I think that's kind of, in some ways, as weird as it sounds, that's easier to put aside. Like, I think Sam Pittman can just go into that locker room and say, we're never talking about that game again. We just played what I think is the best team in the country, and there's nothing we can do about it. It's time to move on. Ole Miss, I feel opposite. I feel like Lane Kiffin coached them out of that game early in the game with all those fourth down calls. And it's really funny because I saw the analytics guy. I hate the analytics nerds. Ken Pomeroy's come after me on Twitter a few times. He's Ken Palm's a college basketball guy, but I hate the analytics nerds. Um, but what, the, the reason I bring it up is because I've seen the analytics nerds claim, oh, it was the right decision to go for all those four. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Not when it's 0-0. Zero, zero. You don't need to go for fourth down in your own territory when it's 0-0. Zero, zero. Pump the ball. Make them drive the length of the field. I'm sorry. If it's 21-3, to three, then yeah, you got to start going for it on fourth down if you don't want to get blown out. But it was not the right decision, and I really do feel like Lane Kiffin coached himself out of, uh, you know, out of that game and coached his team out of that game. And so in this game, I don't know. Could they come out and just say, it's behind us, we want to show everyone how good they are? Or is there still going to be a little bit of a hangover? 
I've seen all the money come in on Arkansas this week. Ole Miss open as a six-point favorite, down to five as I record here. My gut tells me Arkansas is at least competitive, if not wins this game. But at the same time, I could see the scenario where, uh, you know, where Ole Miss plays well, where Ole Miss plays well. A couple other games, LSU, Kentucky. I'll just say this. I mean, listen, I just said it with A&M. A&M is zero-dimensional. LSU is one-dimensional. LSU cannot run the football. 128th nationally in rushing yards. Only teams worse, Mississippi State, who doesn't even try to run the ball with Mike Leach. And uh, the other one is Bowling Green. Those are the only two teams that run the ball worse than LSU. And if you can't run the ball, you can't win in the SEC. I don't think they beat Kentucky. Now, with Kentucky, listen, shout out all my Kentucky fans. I'm glad you enjoyed the Florida game. Offense does have to get cleaned up, though. 224 yards of total offense against Florida. Um, you know, Will Levis only 17 uh, pass attempts in that game. And, you know, I was told all summer about this new-look offense that, that Kentucky was going to have, and I understand that Florida's defense is good. But you start to look at the last three games. Kentucky, 28 points against Chattanooga, 18 point, 16 points against South Carolina, a bunch of turnovers, 20 points against Florida, where one score came off a blocked field goal return. One of them came off a long Wandale Robinson run. So I'm just telling you, I'm not, uh, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying, I got to see more from that offense as they get to the tougher part of their schedule. I do think they take care of LSU this weekend, though. Uh, last SEC game, I mean, South Carolina, Tennessee, we're just going to learn about Tennessee. Never thought that anyone other than Hendon Hooker should be the starting quarterback. Thought he was good when I saw him last year playing for Virginia Tech. Was surprised that Joe Milton got the nod. I didn't watch a ton of that game against Missouri last week. But apparently Hendon Hooker just hit on those deep throws that we've been waiting on somebody from Tennessee to hit. So the big question now becomes, can they continue that? South Carolina is just not very good. I, 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 you know, South Carolina, I said coming into the season outside of Vandy was the worst roster in college football. They didn't, they didn't do much in the portal. They have not recruited well. Will Muschamp left the cupboard bare. I don't blame Shane Beamer, but those are the facts in that one. And other than that, I think that's it. Uh, Maryland, 20, plus 21 at Ohio State. That is a game where I like Maryland to keep things competitive. I don't buy that Ohio State has suddenly flipped a switch in, in, the, in the Big Ten because they beat a really bad Akron team and because they beat a Rutgers team that can't move the football. Uh, I think Maryland moves the ball and has success. Uh, yeah, as far as my picks are concerned, they're all up at AaronTorresOnline.com. But I know my picks are this. I got Iowa minus one and a half. I got Texas minus three. Or I got Oklahoma minus three and a half. I do have the under in the Georgia game. I do have Alabama minus 17 against A&M. I do have, that's four, uh, Maryland is five. Uh, LSU, Kentucky under is probably my favorite bet of the week. I just don't see any way either team runs the ball well. Uh, and so, yeah, go to my picks, AaronTorresOnline.com. Also, make sure you're following the picks go up on Instagram, at AaronTorresPod. All right, I think I'm going to get out of here. Fun show, fun Friday show. Lot to peel back, a lot of layers, uh, and that was good. That was really fun. A really fun show, really fun time of year, and you know Monday is going to be loaded because we are going to have a lot to react to on Monday. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, AaronTorresOnline.com, where all my writing is. 
Uh, great content from some other guys, too. Got a great new college football writer named Garrett, uh, Garrett Carr who's contributing to us. Jacob Polachek doing some great college basketball work in the lead-up to the season. And, of course, my NFL guys, Austin Montgomery, uh, John Frisella, on and on and on and on and on. But make sure you subscribe to this show. Make sure you're following on iTunes, or on podcast. Uh, make sure you're subscribed, Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, etc. Uh, but that's about it. I am going to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I will be back on Monday with another loaded episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Thank you guys for your support. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.